Hey everyone, and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, we're going to be diving into episodes 284 through 286, which will cover manga chapters 399 through 402. And now that we have finally gotten past those recap fillers, we can finally get back to the main story with the battles between the CP9 and the Straw Hats ready to begin. So yeah, synopsis. The Straw Hats finally make it across the chasm to the Tower of Justice with Kokoro's help to rescue Robin, but in order to do that, they need to team up with Frankie and defeat each CP9 agent to retrieve the key to her sea stone, handcuffs binding her before she's taken to the gates of justice. Alrighty, so differences. Thankfully, there aren't very many of them in this episode, although kind of at the cost of this just absurd amount of time wasting now in the anime. But yeah, there are a couple though. So the whole section with Chimini and Gombei falling into these hidden tunnels, that's completely added in the anime. As you'll see later in the episodes, Chimney and Gombei do get separated from the group. However, it's not ever really shown what happened to them. They just kind of reappear in a certain uh, part of this, this sequence. Uh, I won't get into too much of it right now because obviously spoilers. But yeah, and then there's also another added scene with uh, Luffy kind of running off by himself. And that's in the end, or that's in the manga. However, this whole sequence of him running through multiple doors and getting lost, kind of like Bizarro, that's also uh, f- uh, just sort of filler added in to sort of pad out the time. So that's not in the manga as well. And then probably one of my favorite things, and I'm actually kind of glad that they added these, is when Soge King is sneaking up on Jabra. The rooster part is in the manga, but. The uh, the first two sequences where he's trying to stop his heart from beating too loudly and then he accidentally like flatlines himself, as well as the uh, bee stinging his nose, those are only in the anime. And I actually really enjoyed those additions, so I have no complaints there. But yeah, these are really the only differences I could spot in this portion of the series. Alrighty, so let's get into my thoughts on these episodes So the first thing I kind of wanted to discuss have nothing really to do with the actual story content themselves, but you'll notice here, starting from this point on, for a good portion of the series, you get this addition of the Great Pirate Age recap, sort of the same um, summary that you get at the beginning of the We Are opening sequence about talking about Roger and how the Great Pirate Age started. And I can kind of understand why they added that but at the same time really you know the reason is that Toei wanted to basically pad out time which is really frustrating because of how little new content we get in each episode now as a result of this um, between the extended opening theme this recap the recap of the previous episodes and the story I mean, you're really losing a lot of time. So not only between the all of that, you really get almost eight minutes in that very first episode of this um, trio with 284, just before you even get to any of the new content. And that's almost a third of the episode's runtime. And what's worse about episode 284 is that a lot of it is what we've already seen because of the the little snippets we saw in those recap episodes of Luffy jumping off the the tower. But again, that was just kind of 
it's weird. Like you watch those episodes, and in it chronologically, it just doesn't really line up because you're basically jumping forward without seeing a few scenes. And then 284 is essentially the canon sort of reset of that. And so you could literally go without watching those five recap episodes and not miss a beat. And so when you add all that stuff up, and but if you've already seen that, really all that stuff comes to almost 10 minutes of just wasted episode. And that's nearly half the entire episode. And so when you come back and episode 284, after five weeks of just filler, you're disappointed because you just have you just have 10 minutes of just nothing. And the thing is, is if you're thinking that that's just because of the recap and because of the five week five week filler, nope, that's not the case because this trend keeps going forward, taking roughly about seven, eight minutes of each episode before the story actually starts progressing, which is very frustrating, especially at the time when those of us who were watching week to week, it was just frustrating to no end because now, you know, you can just binge watch it and just skip all that stuff. And yeah, you could definitely, it's annoying to have to skip that much of each episode, but at the same time, you don't have to sit through that or be disappointed in the fact that you only got like 12 minutes of new content every week. But anyways, with that mini rant aside, let's get into the actual episode. So as we saw in the last canon episode, the Frankie family get the drawbridge down, but Baskerville still stands in the way as he orders the drawbridge to be incapacitated, stopping it halfway from extending. But Zombie and Polly finish him off by slicing him into three pieces. But just as we kind of thought, he was actually just three guys sticking together. And I love the explanation for this when Polly asks, Why? And their response is because we're good friends. <laughs> it's just so random. I mean, it's so Oda to, to come up with a reason just so random like that. And it's here Frankie stands and shows the real b- blueprints for the ancient weapon Pluton, which is kind of a shock that he actually had it on him. And uh, yeah, he's been hiding it in his body all these years. But I guess, you know, seeing as how his body has been so fortified that it is probably the most safest place to put it and after having spent enough time with robin and the rest of the straw hats he now realizes that the rumors of the devil child robin were all false and that she would never be the type of person to resurrect a weapon for evil uses and decides to put his faith and gamble on her and then by burning the only known set of plans of pluton in existence in front of everyone now What that essentially means is Robin is the only person that can actually resurrect and gain access to an ancient weapon. And what a badass moment for Frankie that would eventually become, you know, his theme song actually starts roaring in the background. I mean, this piece of music has been used previously in other moments, especially when you think about, um, particularly when Usopp brings out the, Usopp hammer the the five ton hammer against uh, Miss Merry Christmas and that song starts playing but this piece of music would actually go on to become Frankie's main theme and it fits him pretty well I actually really like it and I don't know about you but I am more than hyped for Frankie to officially become a straw hat towards the end of this arc I mean he's then moved to tears by seeing that his Frankie family has actually indeed come to rescue him because we saw in previous episodes that he was jealous of Robin that the Straw Hats came to rescue her all the way. 
But their semi-reunion is so loud and long that Luffy gets annoyed and lashes out at them as he's getting impatient to save Robin. And I really like that moment that even Zoro, who's usually pretty reserved about such things, sympathizes with them calling Luffy an Oni or a demon along with Nami. <laughs> and and yeah, I mean, both of them come to their senses that, yeah, Robin is the priority here and they need to hurry. And so Spanda, who's had enough of Frankie no longer serving any purpose, pushes Frankie off the Tower of Justice. And this is where we catch back up with the episodes prior to the fillers where Kokoro comes bursting through with Luffy grabbing everyone and leaping off the courthouse as they're all just caught just in time by Kokoro and the Rocket Man. And I also kind of wanted to talk about something that I often forget about. It's just how much this means to Kokoro herself as well. It's kind of lost because she's always got this sort of happy-go-lucky drunk demeanor to her. But I'm sure this has to hurt losing her best friend and most likely her lover in Tom all those years back to this place. And so for her to be able to help directly in getting the man who would eventually be the next Roger, just as Tom proudly helped you know, Roger in the past, has got to be incredibly emotional and cathartic as well as the fact that she gets to save her, essentially her adoptive son in Frankie. And I like that little internal monologue that she gets at the end of episode 284 as she's soaring through the air, kind of thinking about all this. And it's a nice little moment for Kokoro to get. And with that, we move on to episode 285, and this is where the battles finally get underway. Ooh, man, I'm so excited. Spandam, fearing for his life now that the Straw Hats have made it across, take Robin with him and orders Luchi to protect him at all costs. But the thing I'm most curious of is the reveal of his elephant, Funkfried, who we've just kind of seen being adorably cute in the background, which is why I haven't really talked too much about Funkfried up till now. He gets called upon to transform into a sword. Who, I mean, who saw that one coming? I know I didn't. This is now the second instance of an inanimate object, quote-unquote, eating a devil fruit, as it's a sword that's got the power of the Zozo no Mi, or the elephant elephant fruit, which furthers the narrative that the world government has that scientist who researches devil fruits on their side that we discussed when Kaku and Khalifa got their fruits as well as the one mentioned by Miss Merry Christmas, the one that was doing all that sort of research into the new techniques with the devil fruits that gave Lasu his powers. We then see everyone seemingly like they all miraculously survive unscathed, which is played for laughs as even Frankie is a little beside himself at what he's witnessed with these even normal people like Nami and Usopp bursting through the rubble like it's nothing. Then we get a scene where I feel like the sole purpose Oda created the character uh, of Kukuro was for this moment so that he'd have an excuse to, for somebody to explain everything as well as what the stakes are, the objectives for saving Robin. And Kukuro's blabbermouth is on full display here and he gets to perch up above them, kind of living up to his Kukuro or owl name. And he goes on to explain that there are five keys that they need in order to free Robin from her handcuffs. And they come up with a plan to send Luffy ahead after Robin. And the remaining Straw Hats will stay behind to take on the rest of the CP9 as well as Frankie to recover the five keys. And oh man, I love this setup as we now have a tried and true method of introducing tension with a ticking time clock as they're all forced to split up and take on the CP9 1v1. 
So with that, we see them all split up, and we first catch up with Frankie in an attempt to find the kitchen so that he can recharge his cola reserves. Runs into Fukuro and is forced to face him in sort of a weakened state without the use of a lot of his sort of gadgets. We then see Nami run into Kumadori in the halls, and I have no idea how she's going to beat him. And this is a really, really lopsided matchup. I feel like. But not to be outdone by the next one, as we see Soga King stumble into a room with a sleeping Jabra, with the key just kind of laid out in front of him for the taking, obviously set up as a trap. Sanji then finds himself in Khalifa's room, which is about the worst place he could be in, as he makes his stupid prince face that we saw in that sort of、uh, fantasy that he had just before boarding the train, and then finally the big matchup with Zoro and Kaku. As Zoro ends the episode with another one of his badass one-liners in response to Kaku, he mentions that he's got his swords already drawn because, quote, they're crying out for blood. And oof, ah, you gotta love that. It's so awesome. And so yeah, to review, we've got Frankie versus Fukuro, Nami versus Kumadori, Usopp versus Jabra, Sanji versus Kalifa, and Zoro versus Kaku. And one thing you'll notice is the absence of Chopper. And at this point, my only correct matchup predictions were Frankie and Zoro's. However, even at the time, I knew that this wasn't going to be the final matchups, and there would be some trading and assistance from Chopper somewhere, as there's no way Usopp was going to beat Jabra, and Sanji was not going to harm Kalifa. So there's probably going to be a lot of swapping, and somehow、uh, Chopper is going to have to assist Nami to face Kumadori, as it seemed unlikely she could defeat Kumadori on her own. Not that it would be impossible, but given how high up on the Doriki chart he was at the introduction of the CP9, it was kind of a stretch. And I like this because clearly Oda put them in matchups that would be very unfavorable to them, aside from Zoro. And so a lot of the a lot of shuffling has to take place, which adds a lot more tension to it. Because if they all got their sort of Correct matchups. If you were, you know, if you were, I think it would it would not be quite as fun because there won't be as much tension because you know that they will win these fights. But when you see these matchups and you're just like, your first thought is like, how are they going to beat these people? Like everyone aside from Zoro, I feel like you really don't know how these are going to play out because while Frankie and Fukuro are probably pretty evenly matched, Frankie is in a Weakened state and it's established right away, and so you've got four out of these five matchups that are just completely lopsided at the moment, and so it, it creates it creates a lot of tension. and And the only one that isn't really lopsided is the Zoro versus Kaku, but that matchup is one of the coolest ones of all, and so you don't really need that sort of added tension. Although we will see. That there does get some added tension introduced to that matchup as well. Of course, the lopsided nature of these matchups is not lost on Nami. Understanding this, she tries to get Kumadori to spill the beans like Fukuro, but Kumadori is really quirky in a different way. In that he's very loud and long-winded because of his sort of kabuki, sort of stage presence-like atmosphere he has. And then Sanji, on the other hand. Is also kind of screwed as he's just completely enamored with Kalifa and her beauty. However, one thing I was super excited to see was that right off the bat we do get to see Zoro versus Kaku, and usually we have to wait till the very end to see Zoro's match. 
And Kaku is apparently CP9's best swordsman, using two swords, but claims he's a Yontoryu or four sword style. And, you know, obviously he's including his legs with his Nankyaku abilities, one upping Zoro Santoryu, kind of very reminiscent of Hachi in Arlong Park, claiming similarly that he's better than Zoro because of his Roktoryu or six sword style. Of course, the number of swords really doesn't matter to Zoro at all because it's not necessarily the number of swords that makes Zoro strong. He's not inherently strong because he has multiple swords. It's more so the the spirit and weight that he puts into each of his swords and his attacks. However, as great as the story is, again, with this fight, at least the early portion of this fight, I again have to criticize the fact that Toei makes almost no effort to utilize the anime format or the animation format to its fullest extent. And by, you know, they, they animate Zoro and Kaku's fight in the most boring way imaginable as they just literally lift still images again from the manga, but put in only the bare minimum to give any sort of motion and just animating very minimal amount of frames. And I was kind of hoping that they would at least animate it with the same intensity and motion that they kind of displayed during the um, short snippet of that fight in the brand new world opening. Because in that, you you know, that short like three second little snippet where you see Zoro running at Kaku and then they trade blows. I mean, that was all really smooth. And I was hoping for something similar to that. But when you look at like the sequence in the manga, you get so much force, intensity, fluidity, and energy from each panel as they, you know, they're going back and forth, pairing each other's strikes. But the way it's animated is so jerky, you lose all sense of that, especially the fluidity part. That is probably the worst thing about the direction that they went in with the way they approached this scene and this fight. They didn't have, I don't know if they didn't have time or the budget to animate enough frames, but it just looks so flat and jerky. And you know, I'm not necessarily criticizing the artists or the animators for this. Uh, you know, they're doing the best they can. And the images look great for the most part. It's just that there's not enough frames to really animate to give it that sort of smooth and fluid motion. And this is more of a complaint about the resources that Toei chose or chose not to put into the animation, um, whether it be due time or budget constraints. But I wish they would actually give them more time and more budget to work on these things, especially these like high-impact moments. And this is particularly hard to watch, given what we know they're capable of doing, looking at the movies, or even modern episodes like the episodes from the Wano arc, because this fight is so cool. Like This is one of the cooler fights where Zoro and Kaku go at each other. Anyways, getting back to the actual story content... Kaku begins to show off what it truly means to master Dankyaku as he rains down slashes from above. But after a while, seeing as how this isn't really challenging Zoro, Kaku decides to unleash his new Devil Fruit ability as it's clearly another zone type, but we don't quite yet get to see what it is as we cut to Soga King and Jabra. But before we move on, one thing I wanted to kind of mention is I like the fact that several of the CP9 members they're all sort of masters at certain Rokushiki techniques. Like, for example, Kaku is the best at Rankyaku. We'll also see that one of the other members is, like, really good at Kamie. Uh, Bluno definitely was more so the Tekkai um, person or the Tekkai guy. <laughs> A lot of his sort of proficiencies, he leaned more towards Tekkai. 
obviously Lucci, I don't know if you could really call him the master of all six, but you know, he leans more towards like Shigan. Like I think he really does that. As well as another CP9 member, I think is primarily Shigan. And, you know, obviously they all know all six moves, but you see how some of them seem to prefer other like more one or more of the Rokushiki particularly heavily. But yeah, it is interesting to see how the CP9 have this sort of layer that's not necessarily explicitly mentioned, but when you look at how they fight and which Rokushiki techniques they actually prefer to use, it really starts to show like they they are more proficient with others than than there are for some of their other weak ones. Anyways, getting back to <laughs> Sogeking and Jabra, this whole sequence is just freaking hilarious. I mean, with the heart-stopping gag, the bee on his nose as he's just trying to sneak up on Jabra. But the best is this, this random appearance of the rooster. And <laughs> I love I love this as the rooster and Soge King have this sort of intense stare down with Soge King pleading for him not to crow. But then in classic Oda random fashion, sub, in this sort of subversive com- comedy the rooster has this sort of meek chung crow instead of like the normal cock-a-doodle-doo, like this really loud one. And instead of the rooster waking Jabra up, it's Soge King himself saying, there's no way a rooster like this exists, which is what ultimately ends up waking Jabra and not the rooster. It's just so funny. Like this entire sequence of jokes is just a subversion on top of another subversion. It's so funny. But with Jabra now awake, this is looking really bad for Soge King as he basically stands no chance because I had Jabra pegged to go up against Sanji as long I mean, as well as most people, I'm sure. But with the reveal of his devil fruit, which was pretty much not a surprise to any of us, that he had the Inu Inu no Mi model wolf or the dog dog fruit model wolf. As I mentioned in an earlier podcast, when it was teased, we already could figure it out based on his sort of comments and back and forth with Lucci. And it makes perfect sense that as rivals, they would have opposite fruits in the sort of the classic cat versus dog dynamic. And so with Lucci being a leopard, most likely Jabura had to have some sort of a canine uh, devil fruit. And, and I pretty much pegged him as a wolf. Kind of as a side note, I find it interesting that Oda seems to design every hybrid zone fruit form as these sort of hulking muscular t- body types, especially the wolf and leopard forms. But even Chopper's heavy point is also very top heavy and muscular, just on a smaller scale. And you also sort of see that with Kaku and his giraffe fruit later on. But yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing that Oda always does with his uh, zone types. I, I I mean, I don't really have any sort of deeper analysis on that. It's just something that stood out to me. Moving on, though, I think the worry for Suge King having to face Jabra alone would somewhat get resolved fairly quickly because all of a sudden, the ceiling starts to crumble with Zoro and the giraffe-transformed Kaku comes crashing down. And Jabra being kind of the douche he is, he relentlessly mocks Kaku for his new powers as it is the Ushushinomi model giraffe or the cow cow fruit model giraffe and everyone's reaction here is just pure hilarity i mean soge king's reaction here is very appropriate as he's sort of a talking giraffe is falling from the ceiling and zoro's is a wolf is here it's like is this a zoo or something as he's now seen luchi and kaku and 
Jabra all being basically animal zone fruit types. And it gets even more comedic as the tone gets serious and dramatic for the reveal of Kaku's hybrid form. But upon seeing it, Zoro is just completely blindsided and inadvertently blurts out how lame. And although to be more precise, Zoro actually says in Japanese, Kakoru, which literally translates to like bad looking or usually in terms of like the appearance or often used in terms of someone's fashion sense. Like if they have bad fashion sense, you refer to someone as Kakori. And so I would, I mean, in my mind, I translate it more as this looks so stupid. And I I love how this is also played as it looks so stupid to even everyone involved that Zoro is annoyed at himself for losing concentration in the heat of a battle. And Jabra's already completely lost it and can't stop laughing, which is hilarious in and of itself. Then to add to that, even more, Sogeking tries to launch one of the Sea Prism handcuffs onto the pair of Zone Fruit users, but misses and catches Zoro accidentally because even he can't keep a straight face at looking at how ridiculous Kaku looks in his hybrid form. I personally don't think it looks that stupid. It is it is one of the more sillier looking Zone Fruit types, but I don't think if I saw that in real life, I don't think it would look as stupid. But Kaku obviously gets really pissed at all this ridicule and decides to unleash a crazy Rangkyaku using his new long limbs to generate a slash that goes in a 360-degree circle, slicing the entire Tower of Justice in half. And that's where the episode ends, which is insane. As the Tower of Justice kind of like slides a little bit into two pieces. But yeah, a couple of side notes. You may be wondering why the giraffe fruit belongs in the Ushi Ushi or the Kao Kao class. Kind of like, I mean, you know... This isn't actually the first Ushushi no Mi because we have Dalton's model Bison, which actually makes sense because I was thinking this the first time I heard what this fruit was. I did a little research and it turns out giraffes, while not necessarily bovine like cows, bulls, and bison, they do fall under the sort of the what's called the even-toed ungulates or undulates or uh, the artiodactyl family. In Japanese, they're often uh, that class is referred to as the ushimoku. So you still have that word ushi in there. So it still works in that sense. So I, I still I now see why they went or why Oda went with the ushi ushinomi for the giraffe. But when I first saw that, it made no sense to me. Also, kind of out of another like bonus side note, in one of the SBSs from Volume Forty Nine later on. A fan asked, "What would Khalifa had? What would she have looked like if she had chosen the opposite fruit?" And she ended up with the Ushishinomi. And so Oda actually drew Khalifa, and it somewhat looks just as ridiculous. So I don't know. Maybe the giraffe is just not the coolest or most threatening-looking animal out there. And so <laughs> sorry to all you giraffe lovers out there, but as a devil fruit, it does not look the coolest. But before we end this podcast, we have a new opening theme, or at least there's supposed to be a new opening theme. So for some of you, you may not actually have seen this. But yeah, starting with these episodes, we if you're watching the Crunchyroll streams, you actually don't get to see this opening, unfortunately, due to some licensing issues, I'm assuming. But the new opening theme is titled Crazy Rainbow, performed by the J-pop duo Taki and Tsubasa, which you may recognize their name as the duo that sang the uh, ending theme, Mirai Kokai, from the beginning of the Water 7 arc. 
And my overall opinion of this song theme is, or opening theme is that it's all right. I think it's pretty mid-range overall in terms of rankings. If you saw my rankings uh, or if you heard my rankings episode, it's a fun and upbeat song that's pretty inoffensive and kind of generic. I think one of the biggest things for me was the fact that this replaced Brand New World so quickly. And I will forever be salty about that as Crazy Rainbow gets a super long 42 episode run. Whereas Brand New World got a microscopic 15 episode run. And also the animation is pretty uninteresting as it's mostly just the crew having fun in towns and on beaches. Similar to Bon Voyage actually. And they also do make use of Oda's famous color spreads. I think there's like five or six of them in total. But yeah, this is one of the few openings in the HD era that actually doesn't utilize any of the in-series spoilers. So that is nice for the anime-only watchers, and I do appreciate it for that. Although, I mean, for me as a manga reader, I actually get a kick out of seeing some of those moments animated earlier before I actually get to see them in the series because of how I've built up some of these iconic moments in my head and would love to see them animated. But I think I think overall, it's actually a better decision to keep those out of the openings despite the fact that from here on out, I don't think there's a single uh, opening theme that doesn't utilize spoilers. But yeah, this would truly mark the first time they utilize the 2 minute and 30 second opening format with all the credit end credits being displayed during the opening theme and completely removing the ending theme entirely. And so from here on out, there is no more ending themes for One Piece, which is kind of a bummer. Anyways, in closing, you know, unfortunately these episodes are a bit light on new content, but the tables are now set for all the major players and ready to do battle with one another for the fate of Robin. And I can't wait to keep talking about the next several episodes as we dive deeper into each matchup. But yeah, if you did enjoy this, send me a like or a comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter account at Podcast if you want updates of when I post new episodes or see some pictures of my manga collection. And as always, I wanted to thank you for taking the time out to listen to my podcast. No spoiler section this week, but yeah, stay safe out there and I hope to see you on the next episode. Bye.